This is weird shit that my mom says. Episode 24, 5, 25. I'm Jules. I'm Cece. Wow. How, how's it going this week? How's it going? Um, it's going. It is. Yeah, me too. Wow. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a crazy chaotic week. Um, you know, getting ready to have some time off for Thanksgiving and all that other stuff. So everything's crazy at work, trying to get stuff done and also crazy at home. Like not even just crazy here. I mean, like it would give you so much anxiety if you saw what is happening at this house, getting ready for people to come for Thanksgiving. Well, I am in a constant state of anxiety right now because I'm supposed to be getting in the car to drive from Wisconsin to Florida on Tuesday afternoon. Yes. And we just received a notice from my daughter's school that she's been sick too many times this year. And they sent us like a truancy letter. And so I don't know if that means that we can't go because she would miss some school. So I found that out on Friday evening. And Wonderful. we can't talk to anybody till Monday about it. So that's just been a fun fucking time uh i i wish I, I i wish i could just say something that would make you feel better there's nothing we can say you get to talk about aliens i do get to talk about aliens yeah so we we decided right before we came on this that we are gonna try to be in a good mood everything's good so i i did think <laughs> yeah. of something funny to tell you Okay, Tom. Okay. Because I might need that in my life. Right okay. Now. So I've been super busy, right? So I haven't had time to cut the doc's hair. And he won't let anyone else. Yeah. He really won't let anybody else touch his hair at this point. And so okay. as it starts to get longer, he can't, he can't like style it in the same way that he normally can. And so now he's gone to styling it like an 80s career woman. like I swear to god he does it on purpose so that I it's like a standoff you know like oh okay well if you don't have time to cut my hair I guess I'm just gonna do this you know like flip his head is he like going in public with it like that yeah oh no yeah no he like did he take care of it yet no I just I haven't had time. So I think he's on strike, like, for shaving his beard as well. So he's an 80s career woman with a really big beard. That's amazing. I hope he wears a pantsuit when I see him next. I feel like he has bangs. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just, like, pictured him in a women's pantsuit, and it was... From the 1980s. Shoulder yeah, with shoulder pads. He's going to be so mad at me when he listens to this. Anyway, I thought yeah. that you might find that to be amusing. And I should, like, try to sneak a picture of him to show amusing. you. Yeah. 
Yeah, are you going to, can you just not cut it until I get there? That's how I get there. And then have him do what he does with his gel and his blow dryer? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. (laughs) That would make me very happy. Um, Okay, so are you ready to dive into aliens again? Yeah. I'm still ready. I do have a, I do have a, a story that I have for a topic, um, but I, I'm not going. We're not going to talk about that today. Like we're not going to record that today. Okay. But it is. I think it's a pretty good one. So we get true crime. I'm hoping we get to record it in person. I know. I hope we get to do it in person, and it'll be a true crime. Okay. I did another true crime after this too, which is okay. Yeah, we haven't done a lot of crime at all. Yeah, I actually have, like, because we were, I thought we were going to record a while ago today, like earlier in the day, I'm but you didn't sorry. have to follow you. And so that's okay, though, because I got a bunch of research done for my next case, but I'm almost ready to go with it, too. Like, there's so, so many things I've done today. I've, like, I've put up trim. I've cleaned a pool. I've finished a front entryway. I did all the landscaping. I trimmed some trees. I took all the trees, dumped the trees. I did some mulching. I, oh my God. Yeah. Not even done yet. I did research to escape from my thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I was busy. Last time. I'm going to do that thing where I don't. So. So Jules had pointed out last time that sometimes when she's listening to our podcast, she realizes that she says something and then I just like, I just mull over her basically and just keep going with things. And it's not even, I think we're supposed to do segues at those points. I think that's what a normal podcaster would do is try to segue off of like the different routes that you take it. And I'm just like, I'm just going to keep powering ahead. That's how we communicate. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to do it That's right you now. sticking so, it to me. Yeah. You're sticking it to me because of all of the things I did I to you when you were little. Sister. I know that. I feel this is owed to me. Like how? Hey, guess what? It's not. I'm pretty sure that I've just been letting you get away with being mean to me for the last like 20 years. I know. We're about even now. About <laughs> even? I think I was total mean to you for what? What do you think? 10 years? 16 years. Six. I was not 16. mean to you for 16 years. Yeah, you were. You think we didn't get along till you were 16? That's a lie. Oh, I guess when you were 16. So. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> Wow. Oh, man. Okay, well, let's get back to Roswell, because I think last time we talked about how there were bodies right oh, oh my god yes i i don't know why I, I got really excited did you just did you didn't even think about the bodies all week long did i you? did too you too busy no i listened to the recording because i had to try to get sound bites off of it i was just hoping that you were thinking all week about needing to know more about these bodies and then i thought about it during those time periods and then i was like mm, self let's make lists <laughs> No, we all need a list. We all need a good list. That's what I need to do when we're done this. Okay, so 
I won't get straight away to the bodies. This why what I'm going to talk about today is well because it's it's really it's going to bounce around a lot because the bodies are going to bounce. Just, there's a lot of the bodies are bouncing. Look at you like trying to acknowledge me when I say dumb things. Try okay. It feels I'm weird. Why are you trying? It feels weird. Do you want me to just keep pretending I don't hear you? I mean, that's the way we. Sometimes I really don't though because your microphone, like, or not your microphone, but your internet sucks, and so. I don't always hear the entirety of what you've commented, so I just keep going. Oh, and I'm just like, oh, that's just how things are. Yeah. It really doesn't hurt my it'll feelings. Make, it'll be a different dynamic next week. I feel like it'll throw people off. Okay. We're in the same All right. Room. Keep going. Keep going. All right. So I am going to bounce around today with some of this because this is testimony coming in about Roswell and this crash from lots of different sources. Some of it is coming from people themselves. Some of it's coming from their children, you know, like things that they told their children. And it's hard to tell an exact timeline. It's, I usually like to put things in the right order with time, but it just, it's not going to happen here. And so uh, we did talk a lot about Jesse Marcel last time. So this is the major who was there, who was the one of the first people to go investigate it from the U.S. military. Okay. And... After all of this happened, Jesse Marcel did what he was supposed to do with the government, and he did keep this really secret for the most part until 1978. That so, was his breaking point. You know, that's yeah, that was his breaking point. He he did go public on TV, Whoa. saying that he had never seen anything like this before. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he had never he seen found. an alien. <laughs> he had never seen an alien before. No, um, so. He, he did save the material. He had tried to burn it. He tried to break it. You know, he he tried everything. He said he believed that it was an alien spacecraft, and he believes that there was a cover-up. He has admitted in other interviews that there are parts of the story that he has left out to protect his country. So oh. whether or not that's bodies, I don't know. Well, I want to know. Well, there's other people that talk about bodies. We'll get to okay. that. Um, so... So he's saying that, and his kids say that he never mentioned bodies to them. And he does have, like, his kids are, one of, one of his sons was in, in the military, Jesse Jr., Jesse Marcel Jr. He was in the military as a doctor. And Fancy. he was, he gave a lot of interviews about this. He never had his dad tell him about bodies necessarily. But other family members of Jesse Marcel, who were adults at the time, have mentioned that he said that he saw white powdery figures and there's other speculation that jesse was there and did see bodies they also so his grandkids at this point are in possession of a journal that is thought to be his and it's been verified through handwriting samples that this is likely his journal and the paper and the pen style is consistent with 1947 Mm -hmm. so around the time of the crash the journal entries in this journal started to get what i've what all I could really gather from what I found on the internet was that they became encrypted almost like he was writing in a type of code after these dates in this journal. I'm sorry. I was, there's a whole show about this code in this journal, but I couldn't. So he started talking it, so. in 1974. 1947. I keep. No. Did stuff. he get go on the, did he go on TV in 74? Oh. 78. Damn it. Why? I don't know. I just thought maybe he was like, oh, cool. It's the same numbers. That's all you thought it was? 
But he yeah. was just, he was like, I guess now that the numbers are switched, it's time. Like, that's what he was waiting for? Yeah. Okay, but it's not. Okay, keep going. But what I do take away from this is that Jesse Marcel thought there was something crazy going on, even if he didn't tell us what it was. And so we have him. And then we also have the other guy. So Lieutenant Cabot, we talked about last mm-hmm. time. He was the other, he was the counterintelligence officer that came with and saw the debris. Yeah. And so... Lieutenant Cabot's story is really different than Jesse Marcel's. He did not understand what all the fuss was about. He reiterated and when questioned about it throughout the years that it was just bamboo, metallic reflective material in a black box like a weather instrument. And scotch tape. Weather balloon story. Yep. And he says that the area that had all the debris was only 20 feet long. And he said that all the scraps fit into the Jeep that they arrived in. Oh, sure. Yeah. So he also never filed a former or a formal report about what he found during his service. And he didn't publicly give an account until 1994, which is 50 years later, which is the same year that they came out and said, like, this was Project Mogul, which we'll talk about later. But there's there's just not documentation anywhere. And in fact, Lieutenant Cabot also said that he wasn't even stationed there at that time at Roswell or at, at RA at that Roth that we talked about last time wasn't stationed there and that he didn't even know Major Jesse Marcel. He doesn't know him. Yeah, he's like he's like I don't know anything about Roswell. Mm. We just found some stuff. I don't think that Jesse Marcel was there and I don't know that it was 1947 that I found all this stuff that I'm saying is 20 feet long. And I get it. He's going to lie. So he, this guy, I mean, like he worked undercover during World War II, like searching out Soviet spies. Yeah. So this guy is very highly trained to be a secret keeper. But secret keeping he was eventually he presented with irrefutable evidence that he was stationed there. And he said, well, on the dates in question, I'm pretty sure I was at a leave for a wedding. And they were able to determine that that wasn't true. It's like he keeps get like he's like a little kid liar that keeps making up stories. Well, well, this one time when I was supposed to be at the aliens, I I just actually doing something else. Yes, that's basically what he was doing, and so apparently, like at at some point, then Cabot eventually did give an interview to the service officer in the nineties where he eventually did remember finding the remains of a recognizable weather balloon, some aluminum foil and bamboo sticks that must have been can we just, earlier. Can we just but... talk for a minute about scotch tape? And scotch tape, like, yeah. No, I, I don't want to talk about... Like, I just want to know, is that general protocol for making a weather balloon? I don't know. Maybe in 1947, they're like... Get some rubber and some scotch tape. Like I didn't even know that scotch tape. Like when did scotch tape get invented? Number one. I number have two. To ask the googs. Well, I'm going to. Do you want me to right no, now? I can. I will do it. You keep talking. Okay. When he said this, he said he didn't find this stuff though with, with Marcel, with Jesse Marcel. He said that he found it with one of his subordinates named 
with the last name Rickett. And I apparently didn't write down his first name. Rickett later was interviewed and he admitted that Cabot took him not to the ranch to find the debris, but to a full crash site and that he was able to inspect material there. He described some thin metal sheets that he was unable to bend. So this might be different than the memory metal and that it was like nothing he'd ever seen before. Hmm. Cabot, after hearing that Rickett was interviewed afterward, he hadn't talked to Cabot or like to, so Cabot and Rickett hadn't spoken for 40 years and Cabot calls Rickett on his birthday shortly after Rickett gave that interview and said, Hey, I just wanted to call and wish you a happy birthday. And I'm just wondering who you've been talking to and what you told me. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't keep Rickett from talking. I mean, like he talked about how the area was surrounded by MPs and military vehicles. He also said that he was the one that took the box of materials. So remember how like Jesse Marcel brought that box of materials over to that Lieutenant in Fort Worth. Yes. Or not the, the Colonel. And, and it got switched out when he went in the other room. Yes. Rickett was the one that took it. He was he said that he swapped it out and he had to put it on a plane to Andrews Airfield in Washington. So Cavett's saying all this stuff. And then so Cavett takes it to the death that he he didn't do any of this stuff. Did you say takes it to the death? Happened. He did. He took it to the death. <laughs> Took it to the grave. <laughs> I think that's how I'm supposed to say that, right? No. It took it to the grave. He took it to his deathbed. Maybe. Yeah. He took it to the death. Well, I think you could say take it to the grave too. I think I just mixed up deathbed and grave. That was I don't know what that was. Scotch tape was invented in um in nineteen thirty. Okay, so they were definitely putting it in around the weather balloons. Um it's a transparent sticky tape in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, by 3M? Uh, yeah. But it doesn't say anything about weather balloons. Okay. Mm. We'll never know. So, Cabot took it to the death, but <laughs> Cabot's wife is another story. So, Cabot's wife afterward... After he died, she's like, yeah, he would have never told you if he saw anything. But what she says, she's like, I can tell you that that Cabot and Marcel did know each other. In fact, we were really good friends with him and his wife. And they hung out and they had a weekly bridge night every week. And so they were having their weekly bridge night on July 9th. So this is the day after they found all the materials. And the wives were in the living room trying to play bridge, but the two men are in the kitchen and they're like hovered over the stove. And she realizes that they're trying to boil a piece of the debris. What? They're trying to get the water as hot as it can go to see if it'll melt. And they're just fucking around with this piece of metal. And then at some point, one of them is like, okay, do you want to know what? We're going to get in really big trouble if they find out that we have this piece of the wreckage. And so they went out into the backyard and they came back in without it. What does that mean? Did they bury it? I'm guessing they buried it. Hey, guess what? 
But yeah, so Cavett's wife was like ready to spill the beans once he died. She's like, let me tell you something. Well, I hope they found it. So it turns out you can make a hot air balloon DIY with plastic bags and scotch tape. Well, I don't know if that means it was in a 1947 weather balloon. So I might have to do that someday. I don't tell you. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Other accounts around Cabot are Colonel Doyle Reese. And just before he passed away in 2007, he, I believe, was staying with his daughter. And she found him sitting in a chair by the window in her home. And he's just looking out the window. And when she asked him what he was looking at, he told her, he's like, I'm actually looking for UFOs because they're real and I have seen the bodies. Oh! It was like right before he died. Yeah. So that's just another guy that that knew. What you doing, Grandpap? Yeah. So I'll get back into in a little bit some of the other military people who are confirming stories, but we're going to talk about some random residents as well. Okay. That can kind of back up some of these stories. So there was a guy named Charlie Schmid, and he was a local resident. He was a motorcycle guy, and he rode out there on his motorcycle to see it, probably around the time when Mac was going around asking people what the hell this shit was. And he picked up a small piece of the debris that had some strange writing on it, and he suddenly heard engines coming, and then he ran away because he thought it was probably <laughs> some kind of army test. Another guy named Paul Price and his older brother also heard about it. And so him and his brother, they heard about it. They find their way out, way out to the site and they see a huge amount of debris and they describe as being able to crumple up the material and then having it spring back into place. Uh, he asked, he was asked if he kept any of the debris and he just said, I have nothing more to say on the matter. He wouldn't answer any questions about that. Okay. So yeah. if this debris kind of like breaks or whatever are they able to like tear it break it like if it's debris that means that at some point in time it was like all one big piece right yeah it seems that so what was able to blow it apart it's lightning well i've heard lightning there's some accounts where people think that our military was aware of it and they exploded it from the sky but apparently you need something really strong mm, happening to I don't the think they explode. were aware because they would have been there like immediately yeah well there are some other accounts that I'll get to when we get to the military people so okay. there's accounts from local boys going out to see what's going on and describing tons of soldiers and military vehicles around the debris because of course like we're talking about not even just Roswell, but the town, the small town of Corona, which is very small. Mm-hmm. So everybody was trying to get out there. So people are saying that there was another rancher named Bud Payne. Um, he had a stray steer wander onto the foster ranch. And when he tried to go retrieve that steer, he was descended upon a bon- He was descended upon by MPs physically accosted and escorted from the ranch. It sounded like you were going to say he was ascended upon a bunch. Descended upon. That's probably what I started saying before I up. All right. We have Sidney Jack Wright. Um, as an adult, he said that he grew up overnight from 
the image that has haunted him ever since he saw it. He admitted to seeing bodies. Ew. So small bodies with a big heads and eyes. And he said that Mac Brazel had seen them as well. He was a little boy. I think that was friends with D, the seven-year-old farm man. The seven-year-old that wasn't even There's, born yet. Yeah. There's a photographer who was alerted to the situation by his employer. And he was told to lease a private plane and try to get aerial shots of the area before getting to Roswell to try to get actual pictures on the ground. He said that when flying over, there were two separate active military recovery sites, but he wasn't able to fly close to them without being flagged to fly away by the military. Hmm. So those are just a few of the accounts from people outside the military that were in the book Witness to Roswell that I read, but there's tons more. There's like 600 eyewitness, or not eyewitness, but 600 reports of people kind of cooperating the same story. How many pages were in the book? Uh, a lot. It was an ebook, so I couldn't tell you for sure. But it was a pretty long book. I mean, so I had to pick and choose. Was that like, was that part of your like seventy-five hard reading the ten pages? Um, no, that was separate. Because I can't even get through like a singular book. half of a book. Yeah, I definitely skipped around a little bit. I read most of it, but there's books I skipped through. No. I don't have time for that. Okay. So let's get to some of these military people. So remember the press release that turned into the newspaper article saying that they found a flying saucer? Yes. So the military at times has tried to say that the local news reporters took it out of context and blew it up and made it seem like it was a flying saucer when it wasn't. But Walter Hott was... The guy that put out the press release, he was military, and he was instructed by Colonel Blanchard, and Blanchard told him that it was a flying saucer. Blanchard's the guy that's in charge at, at the Roswell Army Air Base. Listen, I'm in charge, and we've got a flying saucer. There's flying saucers. Yeah. He's like, nope, the words were flying saucers. So I heard that out of Walter's mouth in an interview that I watched. That's not very professional. Other military, yeah, military personnel do admit that there was cleanup that happened between July 7th and July 15th. They said that they'd send a group of men to walk the span of the debris and pick up anything they saw, and they just did it over and over and over again to ensure they got everything, that there wasn't anything missing still out there. They threatened the men that were cleaning it up, and they said that they would send them to Leavenworth if they spoke about it ever again. There are some counts of people getting paid off as well so they would get like a bigger pension or separate bank accounts and things like that if they were involved in the cleanup that's crazy one particular soldier private first class roland minog was a 20 year old mp who took who told his son that he had been at roswell at the impact site and his son told the authors of the book that The spaceship was loaded onto an 18-wheeler with a tarp covering it and then driven through the center of town down (laughs) to the airbase. He said that he accompanied it in a jeep all the way from the crash site to the hangar at the base where it was deposited. Afterward, he was sworn to secrecy, and when he left the Air Force, he was reminded about the episode and told to keep quiet or else. Later in retirement, he periodically received visits from military types in dark suits over the years who were obviously keeping tabs on him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Citizens and other military personnel have 
separately mentioned the 18-wheeler with the tarp covering an egg-shaped object driving to town. Another MP recounted seeing the corner of the tarp get caught in the wind and that it flapped up and they saw something silver underneath. What? Yeah. And if you're concerned about all these threats, because it just seems crazy, right, that everybody's being threatened, well, the foster daughter of retired Air Force Colonel Hunter G. Penn, who had since passed away when she gave this statement, said that he told her that he was in charge of silencing the public in the Roswell area from talking about the crash, especially about little bodies having been found. They concentrated on ranchers, farmers, and simple types. He was instructed to use intimidation and threats with a weapon, as well as physical force to do whatever it took to keep people silent. He confirmed to his foster daughter that the Roswell crash was extraterrestrial and that they were concerned about unknown dangers and problems. The military learned that the locals were taking souvenirs and searched local homes for debris. They pulled wooden floors out of livestock sheds. Fruit cellars were emptied. Glass jars were scattered and broken by the military to make sure that they got every piece of evidence that was in them. Uh, there were even stories about home and vehicle break-ins up to the 1990s. No freaking way. How I They were told to keep people silent. There's other interviews that I've seen, too, where there was one woman. She was a, a girl at the time, but her dad was a firefighter. Mm -hmm. She said that she had seen some of the debris or bodies or something. She wouldn't say exactly what she had seen because she was obviously still shaken up. She said that she was a child and that... She was pulled out of her house. The military person who was talking to her told her that it's a big desert and no one would ever find her. <gasps> so they're like threatening little kids too. What the hell? Yeah, there's a ton of accounts of that throughout Roswell in that area. So those are those are some things. And then we have the story of Miriam Andrea Bush and this is her family's story. So when she was 27 year old, years old, she was a secretary to the hospital administrator at Roswell. Miriam lived with her parents and brother off base. And the night of July 7th, they were all sitting down to eat, but she could not eat. She broke down at the kitchen table and started sobbing. She told her family that her boss, the hospital administrator, grabbed her by the arm and asked her to come into the examination room. When she entered the room, she saw bodies, and at first she freaked out because she thought they were the bodies of children. Okay. She realized that they were just the size of children, but the skin was grayish to brown in tone, and white Ew. linens covered most of their bodies. The heads were large, and the eyes were large and didn't shut, and she said one of them had been moving. Oh. That night, she cried herself to sleep. The next day at work, she was threatened to never speak of it, and she relayed the same to her family, that they were to never speak of the situation. After that, she just, she was off, and out of nowhere, she just decided she was going to get married to a man she barely moved, she barely knew, and moved to California with him. Her sister-in-law, Patricia, of course, stayed in touch with her. Uh, Patricia's husband was Miriam's brother, and so he had told her about all of this and the story that he heard at the dinner table that night. So she was kind of in the, the, the know, and so Patricia stayed in touch with her. 
they found out that Miriam was getting divorced not too long after she moved to California with this man she didn't know very well. Mm-hmm. And she grew increasingly paranoid over the time that she continued to live in California. She thought she was being watched. She was. In night. Yeah. So years and years and years go by and she just gets more paranoid and paranoid and she just lives out her life. And in 1989, she checked into a hotel one night under her sister's name and they found her dead the next morning with a plastic bag over her head and scratches and bruises all over her body. They ruled it a suicide, but like who like scratches and bruises all over your body before you commit suicide in a plastic bag over your head? I'm going to call foul on that. Yeah. That's one story. We have another story from Frank Hoffman, and he's from the Nine, which was a highly classified unit working out of Roswell. They sound really cool. I know. So this story was told in Frank's own words. This is from a documentary I watched and this is his interview that I'm taking this from so he had been working out of Alamogordo at White Sands okay and they had these radar screens that they were able to identify movement on and they saw some erratic movement on the radar screen that was kind of near the Roswell area I'm not sure how that stuff worked in the 1940s but he said that there were blips on the radar dancing from one end of the screen to the other and then there was a flash and then the blip disappeared so this indicated to them that a plane or a missile or something like that just went down in the area and so they got in their car or their probably military vehicles in Alamogordo and they drove um, and they ended up just east of the ranch they clipped some of the ranch the ranch's fence and they drove off-road to find the spot where it had gone down 200 to 300 yards away, they started to realize that they were looking at a craft that was about 20 to 25 feet in length. There was a body that was thrown up against the wall of a cliff, and there was another that was half in and half out of the craft. When they got closer, they realized that there were three others inside the craft. He said that throughout the next few days, there was military presence. Eventually, a flatbed truck came to pick it up tarp covered, sent it to Roswell. He said inside the craft, there were panels of controls and writing that couldn't be deciphered. They took the bodies to the base hospital and they called the Ballard Funeral Home shortly thereafter to find out if they could preserve the bodies because they were starting to deteriorate already. Mm. He said eventually that they were all taken to Hangar 54, which is the large hangar at Roswell. There was a large spotlight over the top of it, and there were five bodies all laid out with MPs surrounding the area to protect it. Eventually, they were flown to Wright Field, which is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base now. And Mm -hmm. he said in the interview that President Truman and his staff were the people that were running the show. So they were asking, like, who was in charge of this whole situation? And he was like, the president. Like, this is straight down. Did the president come and look at the little bodies? I don't know. I mean, you're the president. You should probably go look at the little bodies. I feel like if I was the president, I would, well, maybe I wouldn't. I'm scared. I would. I would be like, let me in there. I know, right? So this last account, right, talked about following a funeral home. And there's somebody from the funeral home that can corroborate that. So 
Glenn Davis, he's talked to a lot of people and a lot of interviews over the year. He does talk quite a bit. He's one where I'd be like, oh, but <laughs> I think you might be a fucking liar. <laughs> the other guy, this this laugh that this last guy that talked about all this stuff that was part of the the nine, he didn't seem like he was a lot of bullshit. He was just like, I don't care if you believe me or not. Like, yeah, it happened. You can believe me or not believe me, but this is what happened. So, Glenn Dennis. So, the base had no morgue. There And so they had a contract with the Ballard Funeral Home in Roswell. And Glenn Dennis at that time was a young mortician that worked at the Ballard Funeral Home. Mm-hmm. He did embalming. And in the days following, or like in the, those days in early July, around when that newspaper article came out, he took phone calls from the military base. They called and they asked if there were any, if there were caskets available for children. And then they asked him about embalming practices that might preserve bodies. And he's like, well, do you guys need help with the embalming? Like, why, why are you guys asking? Is there something I can help with? And he's like, well, like, we, we just want to know for the future, like, just in case if we ever need to embalm somebody. Like, how can we do this? Hey, can you see me? I can see you, and I see that that is Do you see that he loves me? <laughs> Jules can't even pay attention to the podcast because the cat doesn't snuggle her very often. Oh, my God. And so she's just got this look of pure joy on her face. He's loving me. So she pets Batman, the cat's head. Hi, buddy. He likes me when I smell like... Are you ready to keep going? Yeah, he just likes me when I smell like dirt. I'm just talking about our government having dead alien bodies. No big fucking deal. And you're like, Kenny. He's really special. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. So Dennis getting getting phone calls from the base just in case. And I guess this is all on July 8th. So Later in the day, after he had been asked about child caskets and things, he did end up receiving a call instructing him to pick up and transport to the base hospital a local airman who had been injured in a motorcycle accident in town because the mortuary also provided ambulance services to the base because they didn't have their own ambulances. So when he gets to the emergency wing at the base hospital, he got out of his vehicle and he walked the injured airman up the ramp and into the rear of the building like he did any other time that he was helping somebody with first responder help. He passed several military type like box ambulances that were parked close to the hospital. One of them had its back door open and he could see that it contained what appeared to be from the end like a new like structure with strange symbols along the side it was made out of metal with a bluish hue that made him think that it had been through some intense heat. Once inside of the hospital, he ran into a nurse that, that he knew, and she was holding a towel over her nose and mouth. She told him to get out as quickly as he could. She's like, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, well, I just I came to bring a guy in. And she's telling him to get out. Another sergeant comes up and a captain and they threatened to have him killed if he told anybody what he saw while he was in there. They give him a military escort all the way back to the funeral home. And so in the days following, the nurse called him that he had run into and she said, can you meet me at the, I think it was the captain's lounge or something like that. 
is what it was called. So they met up for lunch and he gets there and she's already there. Neither of them really eat their food. And she starts to tell him that she had gone into a side room to get supplies when a doctor she had never met before turned around from what he was doing and told her to stop and come over and take notes because they're like an exam room, I guess, with supplies in it. She said that upon turning around, she realized that there were three foreign dead bodies laying on gurneys. They smelled awful. Two were in bad shape and mutilated, and one was intact. So aliens are the creatures. Yeah, I guess they're stinky when they die. So, sort of humans. But she said that they were three and a half to four feet tall with long arms and skinny bodies with oversized heads and each handed four fingers with no thumbs. And they had suction cups on the tip of each finger, like kind of like suction things. So you'd like poke things and get it. Oh, no. She said the eyes were sunken and oddly spaced. The ears and nose were simply holes in the side of the head, and the mouth was only a slit. She got sick from the smell, and so did the other doctors that were in the room. And that's when she ran out of the room with the towel over her face and saw Dennis. She drew a picture for him of what the bodies looked like, and then she excused herself because she didn't feel well still. Do they all look the same or like, you know, because humans, obviously, we come in a variety of different shapes, sizes, colors. How come all the aliens look the same? Well, I think it's, it's like when you are one race and you think people from another race look the same. Okay. I think it's probably like that. But if you have just holes in your face. I'm sure there's distinguishing features. Like what? Just like most black labs look alike, but then when you look closer, you're like, oh, there is some difference. I know what my dog looks like. That's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. Nobody mentioned any difference. And they don't have hair? Bodies. Or maybe they're different heights. Maybe that's the 2.5 to 3. They don't have any hair. There are some accounts that say that some of them had like a peach fuzz over there. Why don't they have hair? No, because they're aliens. They don't need it where they come Why from. Why do we have hair? I know, and some people think that they're just us from the future. I don't want to be that in the future. Well, you're not going to be that. But I could get reincarnated into one of those things, and I don't want to. I like hair. You could. You could get reincarnated in the next life anywhere. Doesn't matter. It could be tomorrow you're on that planet. Well, let it be known. I don't want to do that. Okay. I don't want to no be butt that. Stuff That's disgusting. And no hairless beings. No. I'm going to remember this in our next life. All right. So this nurse, he never saw her again. She was transferred to England a week or two later, he found. But then when he tried to write her a letter, it was returned, marked deceased. He was later informed that she was killed in a plane crash during a training exercise. What? So, yeah. She got in trouble. I do want to mention that, yeah, Glenn Dennis was, so he had given it a, a name for this nurse. And they tried to look into the name of this woman and the, the authors of the book, and they realized that this person didn't exist. And so then he did admit that he lied about her name. And so they were like, we don't know if he's lying about anything here or not, but because the other guy corroborated that they did call the the morgue. I don't know. So either way, it may or may not have happened, but 
there was another family mortuary that were the ones to deliver the caskets because Ballard didn't have enough of them. And he said that he did deliver child-sized caskets separately to the base. So. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the last story I'm going to tell about this before I talk about what the military says it is is that of Lieutenant Governor Joseph M. Montoya, otherwise known as Little Joe. Little Joe. Yeah, so he was the lieutenant government at the time. He was one of very few Hispanic um, representatives or politicians in the state at the time, so he had a really big following from people in that area and a lot of, a lot of friends that supported him. And so... That day that he actually was at the army base and he was there to dedicate a new airplane and somehow ended up kind of in the middle of the situation. So one of his friends from that area gets a phone call from Montoya while he's supposed to be at the air base and he's panicked. He's like, you got to come and get me the hell out of here right now. Come pick me up at the big hangar. Like, you need to come get me right now. Just freaking out. And so his friend, who drove onto base for his job regularly, was able to just get right on the base. Mm -hmm. But he said he couldn't get over to the big hangar because it was surrounded by MPs. But then suddenly, as he's, like, looking for somewhere to pick up Montoya and figure out how to get him, he sees Montoya sprint out of a nearby area and, like, pop in the car with him. And Montoya is shaking and he's pale and he keeps repeating they're not human. They're not human. They're not human during the ride back to the house that they were going to. He was like, we need to get back to the house and we need to have a fucking drink. So he starts telling them about the story, but he's like, you guys, if you ever repeat this story, I will call you fucking liars. You will not tell people that I told you this. Right. And I will not admit that it happened. So he said that the military had found a, had found a flying saucer with a machine in the middle that made it move. What? He told his friend that he had seen four little men and that one of them was alive. He said that they were short and would have come up about to his chest. So Montoya was short as well. So this would be about three and a half feet tall. Ah! He said they were skinny with big eyes shaped like teardrops and a small mouth with a knife cut across the, like, like a piece of wood, basically. Like you would cut into a piece of wood. It's like that. Why? His mouth wasn't like big deal yeah he said that he could hear the live one moaning and that they were all stretched across like a mess hall table that was brought in to examine them Mm. he said that it was moving with its knees up on the table and one of its hands was moving they were so skinny and they didn't look human they had no hair they wore silvery tight-fitting one-piece flight suits they had four long thin fingers on each hand and they were taken back to the base hospital after he drank more, he fell into a fitful sleep on the couch, twitching and jerking himself awake multiple times. Later in the day, he went back to his hotel from his friend's house, um, and the friends went to check on him the next day and make sure he was doing all right. He told them in confidentiality that they had shipped everything to Texas and that the little men were in the hospital. He reiterated that if they talked to anybody about it, that he'd call them liars, and shortly after Montoya left, Sheriff Wilcox showed up at these friends' house 
to deliver a message from the armed forces saying that they couldn't speak about this again and they threatened them on behalf of the FBI. I thought they were just going to be like, Montoya is yeah. dead. No. He, he lived. He actually became a senator in the 1970s. He did. So he had a good... Oh, he did, yeah. Okay. But that's his, his story as told by his friends, I think, probably after he passed away. So... Yeah, there's just all these stories about bodies. It's creepy, right? It's super creepy. Yeah. So the government has decided that they're going to explain the situation. Okay. What did they have to say about this? So in 1994, they released a report and they said there was this secret project named Project Mogul. And it's not it's not secret anymore. It's not confidential anymore. So we're going to tell you that there was like these balloons that were sent out that weren't kind of like a weather balloon, but not. So they'd be bigger and they might be like shiny and maybe have scotch tape on them. They, I don't think that's scotch <laughs> tape. But they were just like, yeah, we had these balloons and we were we were flying them out of that area. And so that's what it was. It was just this Project Mogul thing. We were listening for sonar waves or something. That's so I don't know what it was. They were listening to some kind of sound wave, like thinking that would help them catch Russian things or something. So I'm not good at reiterating this part. So they did release another report again because people were like, well, what about the bodies? So they were like, well, I guess we have to talk about the bodies too. <laughs> yes, we so have to talk another about report. that. Yeah. So, so on June 24th of 1997, they issued this new report and it's called, let me find it really quick. I'm going to go and I'm going to read kind of directly out of this. I vaguely remember this stuff coming out. Yeah. So it's called the Roswell Report. Case closed. Case and closed. the cover of it, the cover of it is silly looking. Like if you Google it. But it, for real, is on a Department of Defense website. So I pulled this up. I'm literally on a Department of Defense website right now looking at this, the Roswell Report case closed. So I am going to read the introduction to this just to give everybody an idea of what the military says that this is. So here it goes. It's a little bit long, so bear with me. In July 1994, the Office of the Secretary of the Air Force concluded an exhaustive, research, an exhaustive search for records in response to a General Accounting Office inquiry of an event popularly known as the Roswell Incident. The focus of the GAO probe initiated at the request of New Mexico Congressman Stephen Schiff was determined if the U.S. Air Force or any other U.S. government agency possessed information on the alleged crash and recovery of an extraterrestrial vehicle and its alien occupants near Roswell, New Mexico in July of 1947. Reports of flying saucers and alien bodies allegedly sighted in the Roswell area in 1947 have been the subject of intense domestic and international media attention. This attention has resulted in countless newspaper and magazine articles, books, a television series, a full-length motion picture, and even a film purported to be a U.S. government alien autopsy, which I can talk about after. The July 1984 Air Force report concluded that the predecessor to the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Army Air Forces, did indeed recover material near near Roswell in July 1947. 
This 1,000-page report methodically explains what was recovered by the Army Air Forces was not the remnants of an extraterrestrial spacecraft and its alien crew, but debris from an Army Air Forces balloon-borne research project codenamed Mogul. Records located describing research carried out under the Mogul project, most of which were never classified and publicly available, were collected and provided to the GAO and published in one volume for ease of access for the general public. Although Mogul components clearly accounted for the claims of flying saucer debris covered in 1947, lingering questions remained concerning anecdotal accounts that included descriptions of alien bodies. The issue of bodies was not discussed extensively in the 1984 report because there were not any bodies connected with the events that occurred in 1947. The extensive Secretary of the Air Force directed search of Army Air Forces and U.S. Air Forces records from 1947 did not yield information that suggested the 1947 Roswell events were anything other than the retrieval of the Mogul equipment. Subsequent to the 1984 report, Air Force researchers discovered information that provided a rational explanation for the alleged observation of alien bodies associated with the Roswell incident. Pursuant to the discovery, research efforts compared documented Air Force activities to the incredible claims of flying saucers, aliens, and seemingly unusual Air Force involvement. This in-depth examination revealed that these accounts in most instances were of actual Air Force activities but were seriously flawed in several major areas, most notably the Air Force operations that inspired reports of bodies. It appears that UFO proponents have failed to establish the accurate dates for these alien observations and erroneously linked them to the actual Project Mogul debris recovery. The report discusses that the results of this further research and identifies the likely sources of the claims of alien bodies, contrary to allegations that the Air Force has engaged in a cover-up and possesses dark secrets involving the Roswell claims. Some of the accounts appear to be descriptions of unclassified and widely publicized Air Force scientific achievements. Other descriptions of bodies appear to be descriptions of actual incidents in which Air Force members were killed or injured in the line of duty. The conclusions of additional research are... Air Force activities which occurred over a period of many years have been consolidated and are now represented to have occurred in two to three days in July of 1947. So they're saying that people are making it up and they're mixing their memories up and they're all just remembering it to be in one uh -huh. month, even though it's a decade. Uh, aliens observed in the New Mexico desert were probably anthropomorphic test dummies that were carried aloft by U.S. Air Force high-altitude balloons for scientific research. I thought they were... The unusual... Oh, I thought they were just going to say that there was some triplets that were weird-looking. <laughs> I mean, there's that, too. People think that that might be a, a thing. Just three bald um, triplets The unusual military activities... <laughs> the unusual military activities in the New Mexico desert were high-altitude research balloon launch and recovery operations... Reports of military units that always seemed to arrive shortly after the crash of a flying saucer to retrieve the saucer and crew were actually accurate descriptions of Air Force personnel engaged in anthropomorphic dummy recovery operations. Claims of bodies at the Roswell Army Airfield Hospital were most likely a combination of two separate incidents. In 1956, KC-97 aircraft accident in which 11 Air Force members lost their lives, a 1959 manned balloon mishap um, in which two Air Force pilots were injured. Sorry, that was a lot longer, but 
So they're seeing that a whole town and there are up to 600 accounts of different things happening are all just people that are getting confused with things that happened 10 years later and pretending that they all happened on the same like week in 1947. Yeah, they did a bad job at that. Like they need to come up with a better spin. Yeah, and just the whole thing where the military personnel, like the head guy in charge at Roswell Army Airfield said it was a flying saucer. And then the next day they're like, just kidding. Never mind. You guys Weather are so balloon. silly. Those guys that detonated the uh, atomic bomb, yeah, they don't know what weather balloons are. So, Of course they don't. They have no clue. They only know bombs. Bombs and nothing else. Well, you know, they got away with it. Yeah. For the most part, they got away with it. Yeah, so they can just play it off. I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. I don't know that it's it's necessarily aliens. So I did mention that there was that footage. Have you ever seen any footage of an alien autopsy before in your life? Probably. Okay, well, there is one that is said to be a film of the alien autopsy that took place at Roswell during that time and it shows this alien body being cut up and it looks pretty freaky but they this guy like this filmmaker said that he paid like $200,000 for it and wouldn't give any indication of where it came from later he admitted that he had made the video himself like they used special effects and like big organs to make this video and they filmed it in some kitchen in in London. Oh. And yeah, so he like admitted and there was like I think there was like a trial about it and everything trying to determine if it was real or not. Some like special effects, there was a special effects director on this one documentary that I was watching and he was saying he's like, yeah, this looks definitely like this could be special effects. However, I guess at some point there was somebody that does work where they determine whether or not a video is real or fake and Mm -hmm. that guy said that the video that he thought that it was real so can we talk about he worked for the cia or something but i don't i feel like it's fake can we talk about the alien that they that was alive did they keep him like a pet i guess that they kept him i haven't like there's not a lot of like solid stuff around it but i heard that they did experiments on him and that eventually um it died from the experiment they probably didn't know how to feed it they were like hey little buddy Uh, do you want some fruit snacks i'm sure they did some really sadistic shit to it imagine (sighs) like aliens are coming and probing our buttholes would you imagine what they did to that thing well, payback's a bitch. Yeah, I don't know. So, I guess they killed it. And, yeah, there's there's just all these, like, different accounts of what, what really could be. It just seems crazy to me. I'd hate to be the one that accidentally killed it. I know. Like, you'd be in so much trouble. You're like, well, I killed the guy. Like, how was I your day today? Well, I killed a fucking alien. It was an accident. Yeah. 
I don't know. So that's just some of the the evidence for it. I know this episode wasn't in the best order, but it's all. What do you think after all that? I I just have a hard time believing that aliens all look the same. Yeah. That's my hang up. I'm sure there are subtle differences that you would notice. I, I, there's like there's no defining features, you know. Like humans have all these different things, and they they just all look exactly the same. I find that hard to believe. You feel two bears apart. Yeah, by their kind eyes. Two grizzly bears. Yeah. No, I can't. I love how that's your takeaway from this is what they look like. That, of course, would be your takeaway. Why? What is that supposed to mean? I'm like, like, oh, my God, there could be literal aliens. Well, there are alien bodies in our world. There could be. I mean, there probably are. What are the chances? There are these stories. What are the chances? There's a story of that we are the only ones in the universe. We have to be the only ones in the universe. Oh, we are so There's no special. way we're the only ones in the universe. Are we interesting enough to them? Yeah, I think so, because atomic bombs. Because we have hair. That's why we're interesting. And buttholes. And all different colored of eyes. Yeah, they're like, what is this? What is all this color in people? Yeah. Maybe they tell each other apart by their inner beauty because people say that they talk to each other oh. through telepath, telepathically. Telepathy? Yeah. Is that the word you're looking for? Yeah, I was just trying to say it right and I got confused. Um, so. I said a really weird word this week. What was it? Um, I was, I was talking to somebody. Oh, now, okay. I can't, I can't. What's the, what's the word for if somebody is philanthropic? Philanthropist? Philanthropy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I said, so there was this person I was talking to that said it wrong. They said philanthropy. Okay. okay. And it, it was a conversation with like three people involved. And I knew that the person was saying it wrong. But then it was like tripping me up so much. And like, you know, you don't want somebody to feel stupid. And then apparently I just started talking and then I said it like that. <laughs> and then the other person that was in the conversation later on was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I'm aware. I am fully aware that I said it all wrong. It was like an empathy. You said it to make the person not feel stupid. I guess. But like, I didn't mean to. Anyway, and then here well, that was nice here you. I go and I was trying to say it and I was like, I, cu- I couldn't even make the word come out right now. Scrambled egg brains. Oh. So aliens. Well, I'm just disappointed that your mind is not blown by alien people being here. And you thought that I was going to be like, whoa. That's how I've been this whole time. 
But I've been coming to terms with this ever since I watched that one movie about the guy, Fire in the Sky. Yeah. And I was pretty young when I watched that, so. I haven't. I've had a lot of time I mean, to wrap my head around this. realizing that with aliens, did you know, so I think that Richard Nixon was the president who, so do you know who Jackie Gleason was? He was a comedian like a long time ago. Um, no. I didn't know a lot about him, but I do know that there's a story that Richard Nixon knew that Jackie Gleason was interested in UFOs. And so one night he took him to, there's a base in Florida that I can't remember the name of. He got him in the middle of the night and he took him there and he showed him alien bodies in a spaceship. So there's alien bodies in Florida? Yeah, in, in Florida. And then after that, Jackie Gleason went nuts and built a house that's shaped like a UFO. And that's real. And you can look up pictures of it. <laughs> he just, like, went nuts. And then his ex-wife, like, during their divorce, decided to tell the Enquirer. The UFO oh. house is real, whether or not the rest of it. I mean. Yeah, the Enquirer. But Jackie Gleason did tell somebody else about it, too. Like, one other guy. About the aliens. So. Okay, if somebody brought me into a place to see the aliens then I would be freaking out yeah but just hearing about them but I get it that we also have jobs and we all have to go to work the next day regardless of whether there's aliens <laughs> yeah if everybody knew if everybody knew that there was aliens like would there be like mass hysteria I don't think so because it's not like unless you're finding out like if you if you're finding out like as they're attacking you then yes, that's mass hysteria. But if you're just like, well, now I know something that I didn't know yesterday. So like if tomorrow on the news there was a report that comes out and it's like, guess what? We are admitting that at Wright Patterson Air Force Base there are the dead bodies of five aliens. And they've been there since 1947. You don't think they've gotten any others since then? I mean... Oh, for sure they probably have, especially according, like, if Bob Lazar is accurate and there's Bob all these Lazar. crashed spacecraft that we have. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that there would be, like, there wouldn't be, uh, there would be people calling in and being like, I can't come to work today because I'm very psychologically disturbed. I just think that people would be going crazy. I mean, like, yeah, but what, what can you really do about it? Like, you still, like you said, you still got to live your life. I know you'd be waiting for the news to tell you more about them. Yeah, but like I've been living my life. Be doing. I've been living my life this whole time. And the aliens were there. Yeah, and if true. I didn't know about it, then I didn't know about it. It's not like it like changes, you know, what I'm gonna have for dinner. Great. Maybe you wanna try something alien. I'm though. thinking about it, dude. I can smell it. I sent the doctor to go get Sonny's. <laughs> Uh, I really hope I get to come see you. Okay, so that's really all I have. I hope this episode wasn't boring. <laughs> you don't want to come see me. You just want to have barbecue. Yeah, it's all about the barbecue. Okay. Now, I do want to come see you, and I really hope that our next episode is recorded in the same room. Me I bought too. all this equipment for us to do this, but who knows? School district can hold things over our heads because they think that I don't, I mean, they, they, I guess they don't believe, even though they tell us at every turn that they can't come to school if they're just a little bit sick. Yeah. 
So she's home a lot. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. It's all I how many day? Yeah. How many days was she gonna miss? Well, she'd miss a whole week of school. Okay. So we'll find out more to come guys. I know that you guys all really care whether or not I get to go to Florida. (laughs) It's educational. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening people. We've been really happy to see that our numbers have been climbing lately. If you are enjoying the podcast, please, please give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. You can find us at patreon.com slash weird. So my mom says podcast. You can Mm -hmm. find us on Facebook at, Facebook.com slash weird shit. My mom says podcast. Mm-hmm. We need the eye out of shit on Instagram and TikTok. We are also at weird shit. My mom says podcast. And you could also send us an email, maybe with a story of your own. Maybe you saw a UFO, Tell you me about a house, it. you were almost a murder victim, whatever oh, it is. Send us an email at weird shit. My mom says at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Have a good week, guys, and happy Thanksgiving. Goodbye. Turkey, turkey. Thank <laughs> you.